16, 2015. You'll know that two days ago I posted I was to go in today to have four chemo injections done in a six-hour session. You know I've dreaded this, but they felt as I felt. I couldn't handle the week-to-week anymore. My body felt so filled up with chemo that I just knew I was the equivalent to being done. For once, something has gone my way in this medical nightmare. I woke up to a voice message from my doctor's PA. And no, that is not something you listen to music through. It stands for Physician's Assistant, you radio DJ nuts. The message read like this. Robin, I've sat and gone through your chart, took it to the doctor, and she agrees. We miscalculated. You've already completed six cycles of chemo. You are done. Picture me in bed listening to this message on the day that I felt would be the worst day of my life. I sat straight up, literally threw the covers off, and started jumping up and down. I'm done. I'm a survivor. All this on the day before my birthday. What a gift. Holy shit. Hey, I'm allowed to swear. It's my birthday. This weekend, I'm going to see my mom. Finally. The only bad news is I've been choreographing my happy dance and figured I still had two weeks left. I'm going to have to wing it, which won't be too difficult, since I'm pretty much dancing in my seat anyway. Be watching for my YouTube video. I seriously don't think I've ever written a piece and used so many exclamation points in my life. Improper, but who gives? This is the best birthday gift I've ever received in my life. Thank you for all the birthday wishes, too. And no, you're not late. It's tomorrow. My life begins again today said the sugar mom. (laughs) Love you all. Robin. February 23rd, 2015. I've been chemo-free for two weeks now. I made a promise to you that if I beat cancer's ass, I'd do a happy dance. I'll include a link. Considering I almost put myself back in the hospital while doing this dance, and on the 23rd, I get both of my ports taken out. I'll finally be able to wear my dresses again. Next step, hair will grow back and no more hiding my martinis from my doctor. (laughs) I want to thank you for following my story of trying to win this battle while at the same time taking the time to look out for yourselves health-wise. And I adore you. Robin. March 21st, 2015 in the air between Dallas and Pittsburgh. One of the happiest days of my life has been dancing with my daughters. In case you missed it on Facebook, I'll make sure to include a link for you to find. The greatest joy is that I know a lot of you watched over 3,500 views on Facebook and laughed along with me. Since my last chemo treatment, I'm feeling stronger every day, much more focused and happy with life. I'm here for the taking. If any of you should suffer from this illness and need a lift, just put your lips together and yell, Robin! I've learned something very interesting throughout this whole ordeal, and that is hope is stronger than any drug on the market. Will is a close second. 
chemo only helps. So many things are changing around me. My office is moving to a different location. I've watched close to 60 people that I consider to be family lose their jobs. I know in our industry of radio, it's old news. But there are some things you just don't get used to, even after all these years. I wish for all who I saw packing up their boxes and shuffling through the glass doors for the last time, nothing but success. It's so difficult to reinvent oneself at our age, and it's certainly not what we'd have planned. But if you can do it, the place you land will be steady ground. To change everything that you've known how to do and learn to be something else is a major accomplishment, something that I'm sure would urge our moms to say, I'm so proud of you. They are tearing down the walls as we speak. Furniture is being taken out and placed into moving vans by droves of moving men, all while my staff continues to work in this building. We're the only piece of the company that didn't really belong in this building, and yet we're probably going to be the last group to exit. My question is, how does a 5-foot, 7-inch woman, weighing 135 pounds, get an 8-by-4-foot wooden desk that is nailed to the floor of her studio, unnailed and carried out of the premises? Let's not forget the console and the boom mic are attached to that board as well. I will not let anyone take those pieces apart because I know goddamn well I'd never be able to put them back together. This huge piece is to go in my new home. You heard right. I'm moving out of my old workplace into a new workplace, as is everyone else that is still employed in the building, and at the same time, I'm moving out of my apartment into a new home. The really crazy part is, being in the radio industry, we know what radio is. And I'm buying a house after renting an apartment for almost three years while living here in Dallas when I could just as easily lose my job as did the rest of my friends. I think at some point you have to throw caution to the wind and finally admit that you hope, there's that word again, it won't happen to you. I need a place to hang my hat or wig that's big enough to hold a bigger home studio and my kids when they come to see me. This last week, I had four out of five kids come in, and we slept all over the place, one with me, one on the couch, another on a blow-up bed, another on the floor. We looked like little birds that might have been shot out of the sky and landed in all different positions. Yes, the real reason I'm getting this house is because I want my kids close and comfortable when they come. And this is a way to bribe them to come down and see me more often. Pick out the curtains you'd like in your bedroom of your home away from home. You see how that works? All of this exactly one month following my last dose of chemo. Some might call me crazy. Oh, hell, everyone calls me crazy. I'm on my way to Pittsburgh again to see my mom in yet another nursing home. This time, my youngest will be meeting up with me at the Pittsburgh airport. We'll see Grandma a few times and then have a much-needed mommy-daughter night or two. My mom's condition keeps changing, and I can't seem to get a doctor to take my calls. Return them. No email. No nothing. I'm going to see with my own eyes just how she's doing. 
This time around, I'm also going to make sure that the staff understands me. Call me with changes in her condition. No more Ms. Nice Girl. And if you hear on the news a story about a woman that lost her mind in a nursing home in Pittsburgh, you'll know it was me. Robin. May 14th, 2015, Dallas, Texas. Losing your mom, 101. My mom taught me to say please and thank you. She did a good job because I'm saying it to you. Thank you for all of your support. It's certainly been a rocky day. After being gone for 10 days while working from a closet-sized studio with barking dogs, but they're under the same roof with all my kids that I miss so much, so you deal. And then coming home to my blessed bed last night, getting the call at 6 a.m. saying, your mom just passed away. I'd like to fill those of you in on what happens next if ever you find yourself in that situation. If you're the only next of kin, the spotlight is on you. So you don't have time for grieving. You must, one, forget about unpacking your 10 days worth of clothes while thinking you'll need to pack again in a day. Two, you'll need closure. You make calls to the institution your parent had been staying in over and over again because you're in shock and there's always one more thing you forgot to ask. How did it happen? Was she sleeping? Was it something I asked you to do that may have been the catalyst for her death? Did she feel anything? How long can I leave her there, legally speaking? Three. You'll try to find the will to find her will. What did she want? Burial? Cremation? Four. You'll realize there is no will. There's only a way. Your way. You need to choose, and you do. Five. Call a list of funeral homes and do comparison shopping. Oh my God, it's true. One place charges 5000 for cremation and two-hour visitation blocks, while another charges half of that and gives you the joint for the whole day. The thought process is borderline insanity. If they give it all for half price, it can't be the best place, right? So you keep calling other establishments until you realize it's a racket more often than not. Six, you find the right place because the stranger on the other end of the phone makes you feel like they get you. They offer empathy, not sympathy. There's a remarkable difference between the two while going through this madness. You pay to have your parent made into ashes or filled with formaldehyde. Seven, you pick your time slot for people to come see each other in a funeral parlor who more than likely haven't seen you in 30 plus years. The conversations prematurely start playing in your head. My goodness, you got old. How many times I kicked myself today just knowing I'd say the wrong thing most of the time in that three-hour window? Eight. You make phone calls from your parents' handwritten phone book to the same people you've already had those imaginary conversations with. Who in their right mind would choose a funeral home with a name they can't pronounce? Me. I had to keep looking at the website to phonetically read it on every phone call. Nine, 
It would be nice if you and your family could make it to this shebang, so you need to book flights to get there. In my case, I needed to book six people in three different states. I have trouble booking my own flights. It's an ADD issue, let alone close to a basketball team. To coordinate everyone's flight to try and arrive and depart at the same time makes you forget about your lost parent in a hurry. In fact, you wind up talking to yourself the more frustrated you become. You died on purpose, didn't you? Just to put me through all of this aggravation. Admit it, Mom. Ten. Damn it! I just realized I forgot to book a van. Eleven. Gone is the phrase "room." You now need to book a wing of a hotel to house everyone. Twelve. You must find their significant other. This should have been written as number one, but it was the first thing I tried to do, and I couldn't find him all day. Her boyfriend of thirty years. I kept calling and calling. This man has lived with her for what feels like a zillion years, and when he finally did call, saying he was on his way to see her, I had to tell him to turn around that she wasn't there anymore. That went over well. Thirteen, you'll be almost ready for bed after this day of hell when you'll remember. Shit, I forgot to write her obituary. This is not your blog type writing. This is structure. You must pull from your days of learning cursive and coming home to show your mom and hoping she'll be proud of your work, and then it all starts to sink in. Fourteen. The Facebook dings you've been hearing all day. You decide that it might be a good way to unwind, and so you go, and you face the music. I'm so sorry for your loss. Please accept my condolences. And you realize if your friends are talking about this, then it must be true. You've really lost your mom, and it's not just in a parking lot filled with cars. You've lost her, for good. Fifteen. You feel that weight on your chest and in your heart. If you're a Type A kind of person, you now understand that no, we can't fix everything. No, even our capes and pixie dust can't bring her back. Sixteen, you'll feel like you're six again. We wonder when we'll ever grow up. The old radio joke is no longer funny as we say it because it's not about not being able to grow up if you're in the radio industry because you can't do both. It's about the fact we've spent our whole lives seeking praise. From our parents, and now we know no one will ever tell us again how proud they are of us. We're on our own. Finally, I went upstairs at the end of the night and saw that I've still not unpacked from that ten-day trip, and decided to look for a different suitcase instead. But I heard my mom's voice, Robin. Do you think those clothes are going to unpack themselves? Didn't I teach you to always look back at the room you were just in and make sure it looks exactly the same when you leave it? And then you hear the words inside your head escape your lips. But mom, in memory of my mom, Elaine, love to you all, Robin. June tenth. 
2015. She goes and she comes. I find that the only time I've got available to write lately is while I'm flying from city to city. Nine days to go. I'm down to the wire now. My three-month checkup is on the 19th of June. I know this will sound crazy, but sometimes I feel like I'm self-sabotaging. For example, not eating, resting, drinking enough water. I just don't want cancer to have the right to screw up this next blood test. I'd rather take the blame myself. As warped as that sounds, it still allows me to have some sense of control. So much has happened. I don't even know how to pretend that everything's okay anymore. When you've been sick, healed, really gotten a lot better, enjoyed life, and then are faced with a reality check like this one coming up, it's a tough pill to swallow. Within these last three months, looking back, I had my final chemo session. I made several trips back and forth to see my mom while she was in the hospital. I made several trips to South Carolina to spend time with my kids. I took my family to Disney World. I was afraid, what if there's not another chance? All the while working full-time from a multitude of homemade, nationally-sounding studios. My corporate office and studio closed down, forcing my staff to relocate to our separate homes for now. My mom passed away. No words. I've been moving into a new house, slowly, carload by carload, with a red Mustang with the top down, something out of a modern-day Beverly Hillbillies episode. The movers finally showed up last Saturday for the stuff I couldn't fit into my car. They unloaded all at 3.30 a.m. during torrential downpours. I left the next day for my youngest's high school graduation, which is the beginning of her life, one which I was so thrilled to have a part in and worked from yet another South Carolina home studio, in between dogs barking and a frickin' bird outside that wouldn't stop chirping. A week later, I'm now on the plane heading home. After a grueling work week from the South Carolina studio, I walked into a house filled with boxes and no sense of order whatsoever. I've spent from that night after my flight landed until the next evening unpacking searching for things I'd forgotten I had, and then putting them away. I talked to 25 plants in my courtyard, bargaining with them. I'll stay home if you'll come back to life. I promise I won't neglect you anymore. Just grow, goddammit. I've made this house into a home. I walk around from room to room, wondering what my mom would have thought about this and that. Sorry that she'll never see this part of my life. I've found the answer to my age-old question. Do we ever stop being the child? No. Even after they die. We're still wishing for their praise. We take nuggets of girls from others and make them bigger than they really are because we know we'll never get that parental praise again. We milk whatever we can get until we finally realize we're acting ridiculously. I'm still trying to find it within me to mourn properly. I don't know what's wrong with me. I've still not mourned properly for my dad, and that was four years ago. How long can we hold things in until the dam breaks? I'm so 
tired. I've also made an appointment at MD Anderson, just in case. They have new technology and studies that deal with ovarian cancer. I'm seeing the head of the department, and I argued over the fact that it might take two to three days for the completion of the tests. Who have I become? It all goes back to self-sabotaging. I should be grateful that she's seeing me at all. And yet I put up a wall. My mom would call it a phase or a stage that I'm going through. Can someone tell me when do those things end? I guess it's been a huge life lesson to not take anyone or anything for granted. Even while I'm feeling great, I was feeling great the last time too and had no knowledge of what was battling inside my body. So... Why should I feel content this time around? Twists and turn build character, as my mom would have said. But as my dad would have said, you need a strong set of sea legs, too. Well, I have enough character to last a full lifetime, and my sea legs are stronger than anyone else's I know. Give me a ship that's rockin', and I'll throw in the air guitar. By the way, I play 11,000 air guitars. So you'd never tire of my style. While in such a hurry to pack before I left, I thought about unpacking and taking my time when I returned. Really? Who am I kidding? I'm that type A woman who wants what she wants when she wants it, even if it kills her. And I don't mind doing it myself. Although, there was this gigundous mirror that arrived. It was the first thing in this house that I admitted defeat on. No, Robin. You cannot hang a six-foot, 75-pound mirror by yourself. At least I listened to myself. Each box that I unpacked contained a piece of my life while throwing out the baggage that no longer matters. That's what life is all about. Taking our time, holding on to what matters, and throwing out the tumult, and by all means, taking risks. That risk will make or break your life. How intense to know that we can make a difference. Thank you for following along and feel free to make comments. I've finally figured out how to answer. <laughs> Look forward to hearing from me, whether good news or bad, because I'm just not the type who can stand by and watch things happen. And I certainly don't know how to keep my mouth shut. Just ask my dad. We'll be laughing together all the way to the end. Or there, by the grace of God, a new beginning. Glasses raised to June 19th. Cross everything you got. I could use it. Robin. July whatever. I don't want to know. 2015. Amazingly, last night we spent hours shooting videotape for a project I'm involved in. And to be fair, no, I haven't mentioned anything to you yet because I'm sort of living a quarterly life. I say this while today I'm sitting in the waiting room of my oncologist's office. I sit and give new meaning to the words waiting room. As we're all aware, I'm not the most patient patient. I figure if I can make it out alive this first quarter and they change my status to living a bi-yearly life instead, I'll feel so much more safe and secure. I'm sitting here trying to be entertaining but please understand, I'm truly scared to death, 
In fact, I couldn't believe my blood pressure was 100 over 60 because I thought I was having a heart attack just from the anxiety of not knowing the outcome again. So at least we know I can handle pressure, laugh, and be entertaining while I'm a nervous wreck. But the favor I ask of you is once again to cross your fingers, and if you were blessed with long toes, cross them too. I could use a stroke of luck. And of course, this doctor, my dear friend, saves me for last because I'm her favorite patient. So, I wait. May 22nd, 2016. I'm still here. Cancer, be gone. It's been a while since I've written. I probably needed to grow on my own for a hot minute without spilling my guts about every little thing. In the last year, I've had four quarterly blood draws all coming back with great news. This last one has me a bit on edge as the number was just a little bit higher than my average. But my doctor feels it's nothing to worry about. Why should I stop believing in her now? So I move on like a good girl. My hair has grown back, not down to the middle of my back yet, but I'm getting there. In fact, it's fun to see the different stages of length and see how stylish I can make it. I can even wear a little ponytail now. <laughs> I glance at my wigs that are hanging in my closet, knowing that they may have to spring to life within a moment's notice, and occasionally I'll run my fingers through them, slowly, remembering how they helped me through a pretty rough time. Ovarian cancer only offers a 15-20% to non-recurrence within the first five years. As scary as they were, those wigs are my friends. I still travel back to see my kids regularly, and they still quiver every three months while waiting for blood results. It's like they want so badly to be adult about it, but I don't think a mother's child could ever grow up that much. They will now forever doubt life. It's as if while we all act as though nothing ever really happened, and as we try to get past it, the pink elephant has taken up residency in both of our homes, while in their home I address that elephant and explain to all my kids that I'm feeling great, I'm not worried, I'm busy at work, and my business is still growing. In my own home, I tend to feel that elephant taking up more space in my living room than is necessary. As a result, I talk to myself quite a bit, trying to reassure myself that there is no such thing as a pink elephant, and I need to move on. I traveled quite a bit in this last year, I was very fortunate in that I could take all of my kids to Kauai for winter break. Guess who wore a bikini? <laughs> my scars on the outside have faded quite a bit. It's the ones on the inside that I'm still working on. Seeing a scar is just a constant reminder that as much as we think we're in control of our bodies, sometimes we're not. We try and keep ourselves fit. We watch what we eat. We feel it can never happen to us, but it can. As with anyone who suffered an illness as great or greater than cancer, we all stumble 
while trying to be something we're maybe still not really ready to be. I'm getting there. I involve myself in my work and my staff, and honestly, I don't feel I've missed a beat. It helps to have something that keeps you focused. I'm recovering from the fact that I couldn't seem to mourn the death of my mom properly. I now know there was just too much that I had to do in order to keep it all together for me, for my kids. Losing your parent while your kids are worrying that they're also losing you is a heavy burden, and we get used to pushing through the muck just to get to that goddamn finish line. My best friend who'd had a stroke while I was going through chemo is okay. Tough roads ahead, but tremendous determination in his stride. Thinking back to all of whom I've lost or almost lost, I feel as though I have Fred Flintstone feet that are running as fast as they can. I've lost none of my sassiness. Can I hear a hell yeah? It's all come back. In fact, I'm probably a bigger force to contend with now than before, because I know what I beat. She it. <laughs> I've also picked up where I left off with my book. In fact, I don't think I ever stopped. Holy hell, I wore the shit out of my cape. The book, The Diary of a Sugar Mom, was meant to be just the beginning of my business plan. And can I tell you, in my wildest dreams, I never expected to have so many people admit to having as open a mind as I do. Real Sugar Mom is my Facebook page. It gained 24,000 fans in four months' time. Most of them women. And I've created a very intimate podcast series. Lastly, I can still do hair, makeup, dress, heels, perfume, jewelry, all after having just shaved my legs and be out the door in 15 minutes. Don't ask. Somehow, I just bounced back. This may be my last blog for a while. As I've been podcasting a lot lately, I recorded this entire blog series that I'd written while going through the ovarian cancer stage. I've made it into a podcast series that was just released a few days ago, prior to Cancer Awareness Day. You can hear it all on iTunes. My hope is to make many more women aware of their bodies by airing this podcast series and retelling my story. We need more success stories, especially with a cancer that can't be detected unless we're very proactive. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm a survivor. So much more has happened since May of 2016 that I feel compelled to begin again with a new chapter. So next Thursday, please tune in to Sugar Mom for the sixth part of Survivor Lemons to Lemonade. In the meantime, take care of the women you love. And take care of yourself. Thank you for listening. Love, Robin.